You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh... Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Yes, welcome to We Are Libertarians. I am not Chris Spangle. I am Brian Nichols of The Brian Nichols Show, a part of the We Are Libertarians network, joined by the crew over at the Boss Hog of Liberty. Well, rather, a part of the crew. Today, I'm joined by Dakota Davis on the We Are Libertarians network. Dakota, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Yeah, you uh, you said the Boss Hog of Liberty crew. I'm just half of it right now. <laughs> Half the crew, obviously, with uh, with Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah Morrill over there. He's busy running for, uh, for was it, city council or, or something like that? Yeah, he's running for uh, county council here in Henry County, Indiana. Uh, county council. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing a really good job. He's been getting signs out, attending meetings, and got a couple billboards up. So we're uh, we're moving right along over here. Rock and roll. And obviously, I'm over here in the, uh, the cradle of liberty, as I like to call it, in Philadelphia, PA. But uh, if you come and visit, you might want to leave pretty darn quick because today it's uh, a balmy 75 degrees on as we're recording September 25th um, here a uh, Tuesday. And it's it's pouring rain. So you'll, you'll do a quick uh, high by as you swing through Philadelphia. And obviously, for the folks who are joining us today who are used to the traditional uh, We Are Libertarian show as hosted by Chris Spangle, uh, you notice Dear Leader is is missing um, from today's show. Chris is actually out uh, with a work conference, so he is unavailable for podcasting this week. So you will be joined by a lot of the voices from the We Are Libertarians crew um, today, starting off with myself, Brian Nichols from The Brian Nichols Show, and Dakota Davis, uh, one half of the, uh, the Boss Hog Liberty crew there in uh, Newcastle, Indiana. And with that being said... Today we wanted to focus on some topics that are taking place in our contemporary world uh, with regards to the Judge Brett Kavanaugh being uh, nominated for the Supreme Court. And uh, with that, the allegations that have uh, followed through um, in terms of sexual misconduct from ranging back 36 years ago uh, with with uh, a, a former high school uh, cohort who um, has accused him of sexual misconduct. And uh, more recently, uh, someone from college back his freshman year who has come up with new allegations so with that, what we wanted to do is to be able to present the information, and Dakota and I beforehand um, actually spoke about this off-air, is we've found that too often everything that's being promoted out there, whether you're pro-Kavanaugh, against Kavanaugh, the, the you know, hashtag I believe or believe all women um, or hashtag believe Kavanaugh, let's, let's get rid of the hyperbolic nonsense and let's actually discuss the facts. Let's go through 
really step-by-step what has happened. Um, So behind the scenes, Dakota went out of his way and he built a fantastic timeline of events um, to to really showcase step-by-step what has happened when this all started. So Dakota, let's start off. Back in July, um, obviously, Anthony Kennedy... He's retiring from Supreme Court. He's been there for, for you know, basically a generation. Um, so let's start off there. Anthony Kennedy resigns July 9th. What happens next? Yeah, so uh, like you said, Anthony Kennedy, he he resigns from the Supreme Court or he notifies President Trump that he's going to, he's now being a senior in the Supreme Court. So he's, which basically means he's he's leaving and retiring. Um, and this, of course, I, I have here, this was uh, July 9th is whenever President Donald Trump first announced the, no- the uh, nomination uh, to the Supreme Court. And uh, during the uh, Trump 2016, 2016 campaign, uh, one of the main issues that I heard, I don't know if you heard the heard the same thing from just the average voter uh, where you are, but over here in Indiana, there was a lot of talk about, well, we need a conservative in office so that mm-hmm. we can get conservative members appointed to the Supreme Court. And as we know that just uh, just a year and a half in, Trump's already been able to place two members on the Supreme Court. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, both. Actually, the- I actually tweeted about that because I, I, I myself, I hated the argument that people were saying, like, a vote for Trump is a vote for a conservative Supreme Court. And I was like, ah, yep. I don't really trust Donald Trump. And then you see him appoint <laughs> Gorsuch and now... Um, with Kennedy resigning and then his ability to appoint another judge. And, and obviously we saw he appointed Brett Kavanaugh. I, I said, you know, hey, it as much as I hated the argument that was being brought up in the election, right, yeah. those people now they can kind of you know put their hat on that and say, see, I told you so. And they're right they're They can definitely point at us and say, yeah, I told you so. Yeah. If there if there is anything that uh, that the Trump voters could uh could really hang their hat on it was definitely that um and it's obviously played out really well for them because there were uh, two supreme court justices that were put in place by ronald reagan so everybody was expecting it knew what was going to happen and uh yeah so trump's uh trump definitely has been appointing conservatives to the supreme court and mainly just uh, it seems like both of the people um seem to be people that have in their opinions that i've seen have really done a good job of uh, trying to follow the Constitution. Of course, we have uh, Kavanaugh, who was uh, really horrible on the Fourth Amendment um, back whenever the Patriot Act was being was uh, first being talked about. But other than that, he's been he seemed to have uh, seems to have pretty good opinions. I mean, he's got over 300 of them. You're going to find things that you disagree with. But all in all, I thought that it was a a pretty decent pick. And I think if you look at a lot of libertarians, (laughs) or conservatives, they looked at the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh with a little bit of, I don't want to say apprehension, um, but it, he wasn't the most conservative or, or dare, dare I say libertarian justice that was available, obviously. I mean, he Trump knocked it out of the park with Neil Gorsuch. Um, yeah. But obviously there was uh, Judge Amy Barrett. Um, some people were even looking at someone like uh, Don, Don Willette down from Texas. And, and then you had people like Mike Lee being floated as po- uh, possible uh, replacements for Anthony Kennedy, but I mean, as much as I don't like to give Trump credit, well, I'll give him credit where credit's due. He kind of stuck with the precedence that was established, where basically you would never want to appoint a justice that was so polar opposite, or, or at the very least, um, so I guess more far to whatever um, skew left, skew right they may be. 
that he actually, you know, appointed the more moderate conservative justice, very much in, in the, the lines of a, a judge, you know, Chief Justice Roberts or, or someone in that kind of ilk. So he appointed the safe pick, which was Judge Kavanaugh. And going back to our timeline, obviously July 9th, that's when that first really started to take place. And, um, yeah. And more to your point there with uh, Kavanaugh being uh, like a moderate, um, one of the things that I I hated seeing was people on Twitter and on, on on Facebook and the social media world who were freaking out because of Trump's Supreme Court pick and saying uh, how horrible he was, how he's a, you know, you get the classics of a, a fascist and a racist. And he's not, he was he's not. a moderate conservative, a very middle of the road Republican. And the person he was replacing, Justice Kennedy, was exactly the same way he was yes. a very republican republican himself so it's like you were i mean tomato tomato there you were replacing the same with the same for the exactly this part and that's so the whole that, idea <laughs> right yeah <laughs> well it, you don't want too much shake up if you like how the supreme court is has been voting in your term right so that's i mean that's where that uh, line of thinking comes from and the absolute insanity i mean before kavanaugh was actually announced as the replacement for justice kennedy if you were you were one of the ones who joined watching live the announcement who was going to be the replacement for judge kennedy there are protesters lined up in front of the supreme court building with signs literally labeled out for any possible justice saying stop and then fill in the blank whether it's stop kavanaugh stop barrett you you name the the justice so it's not that people were opposed to brett kavanaugh it was that people were opposed to whoever the hell trump appointed you know regardless of his judicial philosophy yeah i don't know and i don't know if you watched uh the the video or if you read the transcript of the speech that trump gave whenever he was appointing kavanaugh but it was a Trump spoke very, very highly of the man. Uh, he talked about uh, all of his opinions, the things that he liked. He said that he he wasn't just a a only vote to the based on his opinion, but someone who who puts his opinion aside to focus on the the credibility in the Constitution. Um, so I, hearing the things come out of his mouth, like, you know, it's coming from probably someone who's one of his many people that write his speeches. Yes. But it, it was a good speech. You know what I mean? So it's it. it if nothing else, it, it tried to instill some more confidence in the more centrist and moderate people who were looking at it without the two party bias. And behind the scenes, I mean, Brett Kavanaugh was on the shortlist for Mitt Romney back in 2012, were Mitt Romney to, to in fact, defeat Barack Obama, which obviously he didn't. Um, but Kavanaugh's been talked up as, you know, kind of that that moderate, you know, Mitt Romney, John McCain, George W. Bush type of nominee. Again, much in line like that of, of Just, Justice Roberts. Um, so there's nothing really extreme about Kavanaugh, but obviously now that he's attached to the Trump name, it it associates all this this negative connotation being you know he's a racist he's a sexist he's a, a homophobe and you go down the list and that that kind of leads now to uh, the next uh, I guess part of the timeline uh, so behind the scenes uh, July thirtieth uh, Dr Christine Blasey Ford now she's a psychology professor in Cal- uh, California she sent a letter to Senator Dianne Feinstein and Dianne Feinstein is the top Democrat on the uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee. And, and in this letter, 
She alleges that Kavanaugh, back in 1986, uh, so back when they were in high school, I believe they were seniors, that uh, Kavanaugh had sexually assaulted her. Now, the, the contents of the letter, it, it basically says that Kavanaugh was drunk at a party um, with, I think it was like four or so other individuals um, at this party. Um, Ford felt uncomfortable, so she ended up going up, up to the stairs where uh, Kavanaugh and then... I believe is one of his friends, uh, Mark Judge, uh, stormed up the stairs after them, uh, or after her rather, uh, pushed her into a room, and then drunkenly started to try and feel her up, uh, undress her clothes. And when she started to vocally, uh, you know, protest this, she evidently had her mouth covered by Kavanaugh. Um, ends up, uh, Mark Judge jumps in the bed, pushes Kavanaugh off. Um, with that, she runs out into the bathroom. Kavanaugh and and Judge are, are you know drunk off their asses. They they you know stumbled back down the stairs, and that was the incident. Um, so in this letter that um, Ford has released to, or she'd rather sent to Diane Feinstein, Feinstein doesn't release the letter. Mind you, now again she Feinstein is the top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and obviously having something like this type of information being alleged sexual assault. It's kind of a big deal when you're talking about someone who's potentially going to be holding quite literally the highest seat that any judge can possibly hold in the United States. Right. A, a very big deal, especially whenever you give the political climate right now, you know, just like if you take a gauge to the political climate and see how hot it is. And this is it, it, it kind of uh, blows your mind whenever you think about that. She had this letter in late July, and uh, Donald Trump, the president, whenever he found out, he, he said that whenever Senator Feinstein sat with Judge Havanaugh for a long period of time, a long, long meeting, she had this letter. And he says, why didn't she bring it up? Why didn't the Democrats bring it up then? Because they obstruct and because they resist, and that is their name of their campaign against me. So he's he's like – Basically, like you and I, like, what the heck? Why didn't this ever get brought up? You had a meeting with the man. You sat across from him, and you had a letter that said that he sexually assaulted a woman. Like, that, it, it does seem fishy to me. Um, it, it's not one of those things where I, where I read it, and I thought, oh, well, this just completely dismisses uh, all of the allegations. This is obviously fake. But it, it is something that we definitely need to keep in mind whenever you're talking about uh, whenever you're talking about the allegations against him because it just seems weird. But it's not it's not so weird to just go ahead and throw everything out the window. Weird. And to preface know? this entire discussion about Kavanaugh, the alleged inc uh, incidents of, of sexual misconduct, Dakota and I are no way, shape, or form trying to to shame. Christine Ford, or as we'll t discuss, uh, I forget her name, but I think her last name is Ramirez, who's the, the second accuser of Kavanaugh. Uh, but what we're rather trying to do right now is, is just lay out quite literally the facts. You know, this is the timeline of events that yeah. happened. And and with that, I think it's important, and, and Dakota and I, again, we discussed it beforehand, is that people are so drawn to one side or the other in this, I don't even say argument, it's just this, this, this massive... Um, I guess, tipping point in America, because, I mean, quite literally, he will be one of the deciding votes in the Supreme Court. So you have uh, those in the left who are, you know, I, I don't want to assume their intentions, but I would say that they're definitely more in the camp of trying to support Christine Ford because of the fact that her 
her accusations will bring down someone like a Kavanaugh. Uh, but to the contrary, I think there are a lot on the right who are saying, well, allegations be damned. We need him on the Supreme Court. Going back to what we discussed uh, originally, that's part of the reason a lot of these people voted for Donald Trump. And I, I forget the tweet. I think Trump even said that. He's like, a lot of people voted for me because of the fact that I would be appointing all these Supreme Court justices. And then he followed up saying, remember the midterms. Um, so obviously Trump's getting ready to use this uh, for, for gaining some electoral pull as well. So back to the timeline. Uh, August 10th. Now, now, Dakota, you mentioned behind the scenes, obviously, uh, Kavanaugh, he's going around to all these senators, he's, he's meeting with them privately, Feinstein doesn't even bring this up. Uh, August 10th, Senate Judiciary uh, Chairman Chuck Grassley announces that the confirmation hearings for Kavanaugh were going to be beginning uh, in the beginning of September. Uh, Democrats complain that Republicans are trying to rush Kavanaugh's confirmation through the Senate without allowing all the documents from Kavanaugh's tenure as an attorney in the administration of uh, George W. Bush. So Kavanaugh has over 300 opinions available on public record. Many Democratic senators were on record saying that, that one month was not enough time to, to read all 300 opinions. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dakota, the timeline that's been laid out for, for Judge Kavanaugh in, in his confirmation hearings, it's pretty consistent with any other Supreme Court justice who's been nominated. Yeah. It's, I mean, as far as my understanding goes, that's, a, that's how I how I've been hearing it uh, from the from the different news podcasts and other stations that I listen to. It's not out. It's not anything that's been out of the ordinary. Um, so the Senate Democrats that are trying to push against this, they know that it's not out of the ordinary. So they're using the reason that we have this uh, on record saying that one month was enough time to go over all 300 opinions. The reason that's in there is because that he had obviously a lot of opinions on record and they're saying look you gave us all the stuff that we have to read through and we just don't have enough time to do this right mm -hmm. so that's that's where that comes from uh they know that it's a, a typical amount of time but anything you know i mean just like playing any any kind of game as soon as it, as soon as there's a weakness in your opponent and something that you can latch on to you want you want to do that right so i i would I can't say that I would be doing any different if I was a Democrat in the Senate. You know, it's it's just Politics. how done. right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's whatever in that regard. But um, yeah, I mean, it's but it is a silly, very silly excuse because of the amounts of full time staff that these senators have. The the fact that they passed the omnibus bill and they didn't care that they didn't have enough time to read that. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So it's. I mean, heck, Obamacare was was. I mean, the the, the whole uh, Nancy Pelosi. We have to pass the bill in order to know what's in it. I mean, that 
<laughs> they, they admitted they quite literally didn't read the bill. Um, so, like you're saying, I mean, this it's it's strictly politics. Yeah, totally. No, so, you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right, Brian. So here we are. We're we're between uh, August 10th and then the September 4th uh, confirmation hearing. So uh, at this entire time between August and September, Diane Feinstein again she has this 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 letter from from Christine Ford with with the alleged uh, sexual assault nothing's being discussed september 4th through the 7th kavanaugh begins his testifying for the, uh, the three days uh at the confirmation hearings and on the fourth day uh legal experts and other witnesses testified about his nominations uh, obviously during this entire time we had the likes of, of cory booker and his i am spartacus moment uh you had kamala harris uh raising hell um and and then in the the chamber itself you had protesters uh you had uh, what's her name laura uh, not laura loomer she was the other one who got riled that with the guy doing the auctioneer um who who's the the what the the woman's march lady's name uh i can't think of it right now <laughs> you know who i'm talking about Joe. i was really hoping you're gonna carry me on that one <laughs> <laughs> i can't think of the heck what her name is but uh you know she's she's you know screaming at the top of her lungs um you know in in the actual confirmation hearing you have all these protesters being taken out uh, but even then throughout this entire process of the confirmation hearing uh, no allegations uh, have been raised. No, nothing's been right. brought up under yeah. oath, and that's that's a key part of this. Under oath during this entire confirmation process, uh, nobody has asked Kavanaugh to put him on the record legally um, under threat of perjury uh, to to actually get him to to say one way or another to address these these allegations. So. Uh, right. that, that, you're talking about under oath. You're talking about under oath, and that is something that we need to keep in mind as we get mm -hmm. through this entire thing, right? So it's not. We need to keep in mind who is saying what, uh, what is happening, and whether or not what they're saying is under oath, and whether or not they are willing to go under oath is uh, something that's also very been very important during my little bit of research and my listening that I've done uh, from other shows on this on this case. Um, it's, it's danced around a lot and it, I, I really do think it's something important that we, that we keep in mind as we get through this. Agreed. And, and now here we are. So it's, uh, just, just a couple weeks ago, September 12th. So at this point in time, uh, they're, they're just getting ready to do the, the committee vote to move him forward, uh, him being Kavanaugh forward to a full Senate body vote. Diane Feinstein does this cryptic message from her her office saying, "I've obtained this letter from an unnamed source that is very concerning, and I'm I'm forwarding this letter to the FBI." Um, now, behind the scenes, a lot of rumors have been going out about this this possible sexual misconduct that that took place that has Kavanaugh as the meet, uh, the, the lead uh, accused. Um, so in this, the Bureau of FBI, uh, the FBI, uh, puts the letter, uh, in Kavanaugh's background check file, but they did not officially launch a criminal investigation in part, uh, because the statute of limitations on alleged sexual assault expired years earlier. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the FBI technically can't do anything because of the jurisdiction, um, where the event, the, the supposed event took place, correct? Right, so that's absolutely correct. So uh, there have been um, other allegations of sexual misconduct uh, with people people in federal office and things that have garnered uh, uh, national media attention that the FBI has investigated and a, a lot of uh, 
a lot of the Senate Democrats and a lot of the uh, pundits on CNN and MSNBC have been bringing up the fact that, well, oh, look, the the FBI is just controlled by Trump and they're not looking into this. Well, that's uh, that's not the exactly deep state FBI. Yeah. So but <laughs> coming from the left this time, but uh, <laughs> the uh, the whole idea is that these uh, these issues, if they were in, if they were part of the federal government, uh, in other cases, then the FBI can investigate those. However, since this happened in 1982, allegedly, and it happened in some random house in the state of Maryland, then that would be left up to um, the state that it happened in. And it's it's a 30, what, 35-year-old case, 36? Right. So it, it's way past the statute of limitations on sexual assault. So it it's it just doesn't make sense for the FBI to go into it and technically speaking they can't. Yep. And it, it would require I believe um the the uh the victim to officially press charges, correct? Right. So she has to press charges against Brett Kavanaugh uh now that he is in a federal position of power technically speaking, in order for him to uh, be under investigation by the, the FBI. So here we are. It's, it's Friday, um, September 14th, and uh, all of a sudden the, the allegations from Ford are, are finally brought to the surface uh, by the New Yorker magazine. Now, this, this entire story that was promoted on that Friday was completely bare bones, did not include Ford's name, um, so basically, it was just a a very brief description of the the said incident, uh, and to to that, Kavanaugh says in a statement, "I categorically and unequivocally deny this allegation. I did not do this back in high school or at any time." Now, obviously, Kavanaugh he's trying to be as direct as possible because we saw back in the 1990s with Bill Clinton and the uh, you know well it depends on what the definition of is is. Um, you had the, the lawyer speak. So since then, there's been a very big push for anybody who is under any sort of, of allegation to when they're giving their, their denial or, or whatnot to make it as crystal clear with no loopholes whatsoever to show that they're being serious. So, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're totally right there. And, uh, one other thing is that typically speaking, whenever, whenever you deny an allegation now, it, you you say no, I didn't do that, um, and that's it. You give a direct answer. You offer no type of specific detail that can later be brought into an in, into an investigation. Kind of like the anything uh, you do or say can be used against you in a court of law, right? So we don't want uh, if you are that if I am Brett Kavanaugh's lawyer, I don't want him to say anything other than nope, you know. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> as little as possible. I mean, uh, Ben Shapiro, I listen to him every now and then, and uh, he was talking about Donald Trump, just an aside here, and he's like, as a, a, a lawyer, Donald Trump is quite literally the worst type of, of client you could possibly have, because if you're a lawyer, you want your, your client to say as little as possible, <laughs> because the more you talk, the more you're opening up for more issues to happen. Yeah, so we saw that on September 14th with uh, with Kavanaugh. That's is watching it. You you think, oh, this is what he's trying to do, right? So this is it's pretty cut and dry. You can see this is what he's what he's uh, trying right here, and uh, 
it it gets a little bit more interesting later on as we'll find out. That's right, because now we're going to go two days later, and it's funny, I I remember this happening because I was in between, uh, <laughs> I'm a nerd, I was in between uh, matches of Fortnite, and I got a push notification on my phone from, from uh, NBC, and it said, Washington Post publishes interview uh, with Christine Ford, uh, Kavanaugh, sexual misconduct accuser, and I was like, whoa, time out, I gotta, gotta cancel this game of Fortnite and actually read this story, so in this... Go ahead. You should cancel a game of Fortnite anyway. Uh, <laughs> we play PUBG around here. See, I, 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 I was never into the the Fortnite uh, realm until one of my really good buddies, actually his name is Connor Moriarty, he did the uh, the new logo design for my, my show, and uh, he said, hey, Brian, listen, I get it. It's a weird-looking game. It's all cartoony. He's like, give it... You know, I tried it. I hated it. And he's like, give it 15 matches. After 15 matches, you'll be, you'll be obsessed. And I was like... Uh, okay, so I, I took a Saturday, and I just started to try to play it, and I was like, by by game 10, I'm like, I still hate this, and then by game like 14, I was like, oh, I don't really hate it too much, and then by the 15th game, I was like, okay, it's not too bad, and then I, the, 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 the damage was done, but uh, I heard PUBG's yeah, pretty good. So addicting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was the same way with PUBG, I didn't play it, and then one of my friends was like, hey, play this, uh, you want to play match with me? I'm like, sure, and then... I ended up uh, winning my very first match, and I was like, okay, well, this is going to be my life from now on. <laughs> and PUBG's <laughs> a first-person shooter, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Fortnite, obviously Fortnite is the more cartoony-looking third-person shooter. Um, I was never a big third-person shooter player. I did like Star Wars Battlefront um, back, the old the old Battlefront back with PS2. Um, that was fun as a third-person shooter. Yeah. And then when the new one came yeah. out back in 2015, they went to first-person. So... I, I've always been like the Halo type of player, um, you know, the 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 Call of Duty that kind of player. Yeah, I still think the best third-person shooter game it would be uh, the first Red Dead Redemption that came out. Mm, the classic spot. Oh yeah, classic. that was a good one. It was between that or Gun. Gun came out with the the original uh, 360 launch. Um, I used to love that game too. That was a lot of fun. But we we got a, we got a little off track there. Um, so in in between um, in between my Fortnite matches, I'm reading this story. So in this story that she uh, she did the interview with the Washington Post, um, Ford alleges again the story we we talked about earlier. Kavanaugh pins her down in the bed in high school, tries to remove her clothes, puts his hand over her mouth to stop her from screaming. Um, she says in the story she feared that Kavanaugh might inadvertently kill her. Um, and then obviously we, we mentioned earlier, judge comes in, knocks him off in, in a drunken stupor. Um, she escapes to the bathroom. They drunkenly walk down the stairs. Kavanaugh at this point now, now that he has actually a name, um, to the, the, the supposed victim, he says, you know, again, categorically denies the incident ever even took place. Uh, so now we go ahead that Monday, uh, Senator Grassley scrapped the, uh, the confirmation vote for Kavanaugh. Uh, that the committee was actually supposed to hold uh, back on the 21st. And he says, uh, instead, the panel is going to hold a hearing on the 24th, which would have been uh, yesterday, uh, as we're recording here on the 25th, uh, the Tuesday, to hear from both Ford and Kavanaugh about the sexual assault allegations. Uh, and then, uh, an aside, contrary to popular belief, Senate and congressional committees do hold the power to issue subpoenas, hold investigations, and hold hearings. So if you are subpoenaed to a congressional hearing, um, or a Senate hearing, you are required by law to to show up. Otherwise, you could actually be, I think it's in contempt of court, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And that's something that I did, did not know until I started uh, doing more research into this. Uh, yeah, you can totally be subpoenaed by a Senate or Congressional committee. Uh, 
and they can hold their own investigations. They can conduct their own investigations, conduct their own hearings. It's uh, it's very much just like a court of law whenever you get put into a uh, congressional or a Senate committee. And that's Eric Holder was the uh, the first sitting U.S. Attorney General, I believe, to be held in contempt of, of uh, the Senate because he did not appear before the, the Senate to um, answer questions with regards to, I think it was the Fast and Furious can, uh, uh, gun running back in 2014, 15, somewhere in there, um, somewhere in that timeline. He's he's long gone, but uh, as I, I had Remzo Martinez on my show last week, and he's, he did a whole um, investigative journalism on Eric Holder, and he thinks he's going to run for president in 2020, which I wouldn't be surprised. But moving huh. ahead. Uh, I, this first I've heard of Eric Holder maybe making a run for 2020. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the, the dude's got the coattails of Obama um, to run on. He's always been a very active um, political organizer behind the scenes. So, I mean, it's going to be a bloodbath. Remember, like, 2015 with the, the Republicans running? It's going to be like that, only 10 times worse, because now they have one target and one target only. That's Trump. Yep, that's right. Yeah, and... Uh, Dude, I can't tell you how great it's been. You know how it is being in uh, a media role and watching all of this, watching <laughs> the Trump administration go down. It's like just endless content for days. It's oh, been uh, incredible. And I cannot wait until the 2020 election. Like the 2018 midterm has been fun enough, but 2020 is going to be nuts. I'm calling it right now. Michael Avenatti is going to be the uh, the nominee. I just, I got the feeling. I, I actually, I think I had an exclusive because the first person I actually ever heard state unequivocally that they thought Michael Avenatti was going to be the nominee was back a couple months ago. I had Jeffrey Tucker on and, and he called it. He's like, and, and as only Jeff, Jeffrey Tucker could, could say about, you know, his, his bombastic rhetoric and, you know, you know, Jeffrey is, he's got all these, these amazing, uh, euphemisms and he just goes off in this, this very flowery language describing how certain he was that Michael Avenatti was going to be the, the poster boy for the democratic party. And I, we're watching it right now and we'll discuss a little bit more down the line, but like Avenatti has been all over either CNN or MSNBC, you name the network trying to promote these various potential accusers of not only Kavanaugh, but um, of Donald Trump. He, obviously, Avenatti is most well-known being, as, as Tucker Carlson calls him, the creepy porn lawyer for uh, for Stormy Daniels, <laughs> which is just such a stupid, yeah. stupid moniker. But um, nonetheless, that's that's how he's identified as. But I'm I'm still sticking with uh, Cory Booker making the uh, being the nominee for president. Dude, I think Trump, will, just... Trump will beat the piss out of him. I well, <laughs> okay, so I think so as well. But I, I think that I just think that he's got this certain energy around him, and he just he says all of the outlandish things that a lot of people on the on the we just hate Trump left love, and absolutely. That's true. Love. But he, we'll see. We'll just we'll get there. He just seems so rehearsed. Like everything he says, like. I, there, so we're going to talk – well, I guess we're not going to talk about – but back in the, the actual confirmation hearings, before the whole um, Christine Ford thing came out, you know, he's, he's, he's there doing this whole speech of how, you know, I, I'm going to release these documents knowing full well that it's in violation of Senate rules. And I'm doing so knowingly under, with the, the understanding that I could be removed from the Senate. It, this, is, this is my Spartacus moment. And it's just like, dude, <laughs> you're, you're, you're way too into this role. 
Yeah, he 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 has sunk his teeth into this role, and a lot of his base and a lot of the people that that follow uh, the talking heads on in mainstream media absolutely eat that up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he he. It's it was sad though. Is he has changed so much from who he was as a senator, like a, just a year or, or so removed. I mean, he was working a lot with Rand Paul to do a lot of criminal justice reform stuff. And and now that, you know, to to be anti-Trump is the, the, the best thing to do to promote your career, he's embraced that persona, you know, 100% full bore. And it's just so infuriating because, and we're going to discuss at the end of the show, um, the ramifications of what's happening currently with this, this, this conversation with Kavanaugh. But he's embraced this tribal, um, almost like cult hero, almost. Like he's he's the figurehead, or one of the figureheads of the anti-never-Trump, Trump's a fascist movement. And he's just, he's so into this role that it's like he's put the blinders on to any real substantive policy. And he's just going to go out of his way to do whatever he can to destroy Trump to push himself further ahead. Well, I mean, and it's working for him, too. Yeah. And- just just look at it. The only people who, like you were saying, two, uh, one or two years ago, the only people who knew who Cory Booker was were the people that were following politics extremely closely, right? Your your average American had no idea who the man was. And now in, in the span of 18 months, he is uh, practically a, a household name. Yeah. Yep. Right up there with uh, Kamala Harris. And ironically, they are both uh, top presidential uh, candidates for the Democrats in 2020. It's uh, it's funny how that happens. But back to our timeline, uh, September 23rd. So at this point, um, this would be just just two days ago at the uh, the point of recording here, uh, back on Sunday, uh, Christine Ford agrees to testify publicly at a committee hearing on September 27th, which is going to be this coming Thursday. Uh, so Grassley says that Kavanaugh will testify after Ford. Later that day, the New Yorker releases a report that a second woman has come forward with allegations of sexual assault. Also against Kavanaugh, Deborah Ramirez, she's a woman who attended Yale University with Kavanaugh back in the 80s, um, said that Kavanaugh exposed uh, himself to her at a dorm party, quote-unquote, thrusting his penis in her face. Um, and the alleged incident took place between 1984 and 1985 academic year, according to the story. Now, one important part of said allegation is that uh, in this, Ramirez says that both she and all those who were in said incident were all pretty much blackout drunk. Um, and I think that's also, again, we're, we're just stating the facts, not saying, you know, that she's, she's making it up one way or another, just stating the unequivocal facts. So they well, were, again, was- alcohol involved, which just is the same as with uh, Christine Ford. Yeah, and that was uh, that was one of the main parts of the story was that uh, everybody was drunk. She was pretty much passed out. She was like, you know, dozing off, like eyes fluttering open and closed. And uh, she says in the th- she says in the actual document that she turned over and there was a penis. And she said, "Wait, that's not I'm a real sorry. penis." Like, <laughs> I shouldn't so, laugh at this, but just like the the, the no, that's just so weird. Like you don't expect that to come out whenever you're reading. Like whenever you're reading USA Today, you don't expect that to be in an allegation against someone who's running for the or being confirmed for the Supreme Court. Did, did, did you watch weird. The Office? 
Oh, yeah. Okay, so I don't know why, but all I could think about was it was season eight when um, James Spader has become the new boss. He's Robert California. And he's like, he does this thing where he like just walks around and he'll look at somebody and then they get really nervous because he might have like a one-on-one with them. And he looks at Aaron and she's like, oh, okay, we're starting now. And then he goes up, he's like, Aaron, describe your day. And she, she goes, uh, well, I woke up, I brushed my teeth. He's like, no, 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 never start talking about your day with, I woke up. That's how everybody has woken up since the dawn of man. <laughs> she's like, okay, suddenly... I awoke. That's <laughs> all you think about. <laughs> Suddenly, there was a penis. <laughs> I'm sorry. We should yeah, be, we're not laughing at the allegations. We're laughing at the the, the, the words that you're you're reading here. It, it's 2018. Like nothing makes sense anymore. We're the writers who are writing this script are just throwing shit on the wall, hoping it sticks. At this point. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And what's so? What is? Uh, I don't want to say funny because if it if like the situation itself that she describes is not a funny situation. No, it's not funny. It's no, not not at all. But one of the we had uh, Chris Spengel's birthday party and someone brought a strap-on dildo and, as like a gag gift, and uh, co-host Carrie, Harry Price had put it on and was walking around just nonchalantly. And that's what I thought about whenever I read this because it was like, it was like, man, I wonder like if years from now Harry is trying to run for office or something. And we're like, I saw him. Uh, we were drunk at a party, had on a purple dildo, and he was walking around and he put it in Jeremiah Morrill's face. <laughs> that's the only thing that I could think of whenever I read this because the wording is just so strange. And like I said, the situation for is not funny at all. It's a horrible thing to for a person to ever even think about going through, but it's just reading that in a mainstream news article was was so bizarre. Yeah, and we're gonna so again we're laying out the the facts of the case. What what is the timeline of events? And we're gonna give our opinions at the end. But again, this is in no way, shape, or form to discredit sexual assault victims, um, to to discredit those who come forward with their stories. Um, we really want to, to again, lay out the, the timeline so we all have an objective look of what's actually happening. So if, in case you were, you know, Team Kavanaugh or Team Ford, which it's sick that there's even teams at this point, um, you know, you, you at least know really what, what's actually happening outside of whatever echo chamber it is you find yourself in where you're getting the news. Um, so then going forward, just reiterating, can't say it enough that we're not picking sides in this. It's just uh, purely for the facts. I don't want to, yep. I didn't want this to be an emotionally charged episode full of just opinions. I mean, it, it, I'm not sure. Do you listen to uh, Steven Crowder by chance? No, I do not. So, so I, I'll, I'll listen every now and then, and I noticed uh, on the podcast feed, Stephen Crowder had an episode about about um, uh, Christine Ford, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll I'll listen to the more conservative approach. I just want to hear what the argument is, and and you know, he called her a lying bee, and I was like, dude, like, come on, like, nobody knows the the details of the facts because again, it's thirty six years ago, and nobody can. No, 100% certain, besides Christine Ford and Judge Kavanaugh, what the truth is. 
So for anybody to to assert, you know, with 100% confidence that she's lying or that he's lying is just complete BS. You can't do that objectively because we don't know. Like, we quite literally don't know. And there's no way to know. So just, again, to kind of give a perspective, that's where we're approaching this. Again, with complete... You know, basically, we're, we're agnostic to the the fact that the the realities of what happened. What we're trying to do is present what we know, what we can. You know, everybody can look at a spade and call it a spade instead of saying, "Well, that's actually a heart." So we're trying to be as objective as possible. So with that, last few things on the uh, official timeline. So September twenty fourth, which was uh, Monday, Kavanaugh sends a letter to uh, to Grassley and Feinstein, declaring, "Quote." He will not be intimidated into withdrawing from this process. Quote, the coordinated effort to destroy my good name will not drive me out. The vile threats of violence against my family will not drive me out. The last minute character assassination will not succeed. Uh, Trump uh, then went out of his way to blast the allegations against Kavanaugh as quote unquote, totally political saying I am with him all the way. And then uh, later uh, that evening, Kavanaugh and his wife Ashley went on to, uh, to Fox News and Martha McCallum's show. And uh, Kavanaugh says, all I'm asking for is a fair process where I can be heard. Uh, Kavanaugh still denies the claims of sexual assault, claiming, this this has got to be so awkward for him on TV, I've been a virgin even after college, and all of his sexual purity was very important to him. Um, I mean, that's... So that's that's what I was talking about earlier. Whenever we were talking about, if you're his lawyer, you just want him to go on there and say no. Yep. Right? You want to say as little as possible, but he brought up so many personal details of his life whenever he was in high school he was the 17 and then later in college and uh, i think he feels obligated to like he he he, i mean again i let's let's just remove ourselves really quick and put ourselves in his situation like if you were being lambasted on a national stage basically like calling out your the, the the core fabric of who you are as a person and like they're saying you did one of the most dirty disgusting horrible things you can do to somebody else if it if if if, if, let's just say it was not true like let's assume for a moment that kavanaugh's telling the truth like i i can't blame him for wanting to go on and be like no dude i didn't do this and like say this is why i didn't do it like i just i can't imagine putting myself in his shoes at this point if if for for uh a fact he's telling the truth yeah for the sake of the argument that that you're making we're saying uh, it didn't happen and it is a lie, then that would be, I mean, that is one of the things that I read today that I thought, whoa, you know, because it was like, this is different. Um, not sure what to make of this whole scenario because it's like, it, it, was, it just seemed like it wasn't, it wasn't him going on there and reading a script, only saying the things that his lawyers told him to say. It, it it really, in my opinion, did seem genuine, but I, without knowing the person, I don't know him. I've never obviously met the guy, so it's not. I can't make a judgment of his character or right. how he acts normally. But if it just seemed like it was like he was, him and his wife were legitimately upset that this was happening. And last uh, last little timeline here, and it's not even on. It's not even on our timeline events there, Dakota, because it just came out. So uh, just now, here we are, September 25th. Um, Republicans in the uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee have stated they are going to be holding the vote regardless. 
uh, to conf uh, to to push Kavanaugh to a a full Senate vote on uh, Friday. So that has officially been declared. Um, I do declare, as Michael Scott would say. Um, mm -hmm. So that is going to be happening this yes. coming Friday, which is going to be September uh, 28th. That's when the uh, the vote's going to be held. And I'm going to guarantee that there is going to be a lot of outrage um, because the push from the the, the pro-Ford camp um, slash anti-Kavanaugh camp slash Believe All Women camp is that you're rushing this. We can't we can't rush these these women and their experiences with sexual assault and we're not allowing their story to be heard. So putting this deadline on Friday, it's it's just a means to, to silence these women. Well, and I totally understand that argument too. Yeah. I really do. Like that that actually it it makes sense to me if because it's just so hard if you're looking at this from if it, if you're trying to remove your personal emotion and just look at the facts, then it's like you look at it and you think you get done reading all this. Like I spent probably three hours just today uh, reading everything I could that was not an emotionally charged opinion piece, and I came out of it going, uh, I I still don't know. Like yeah, I. You know, yeah, it's it's a it's a classic case of of just he said he said she said, and not knowing who to believe. And what's sad is that that okay, now this is the part. Let's 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 get to a little bit of like some commentary, right? So this is the part that sucks because the reality of the situation, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, is that there is there is no way to know one hundred percent whether or not she's telling the truth or he's telling the truth. And I think it's so hard for, for people because we're, we're in this type of society where we have to be able to know definitively, you know, yes, he did it or no, he didn't. And then and that's kind of the way that we, we approach any day-to-day -day situation or, or, you know, instance in our own lives. But we can't do this here, not only because it really is taking two people at each other's word, but then you throw in the the variable being the time. I mean, we're 36 years removed from the alleged incident, and that doesn't discredit if she's telling the truth, which I very much believe that there's a, a chance she is telling the truth. The problem is, is that here we are in 2018 trying to look at accusations from 36 years ago as if it was something that we could objectively analyze 36 years later as if it just happened and there unfortunately for for her case and i think it hurts the the overall me too movement because they're they're latching on to christine ford now with ramirez is that there there are no corroborating witnesses um the only people who have been brought up uh categor categorically deny that they they experienced um what was said to have happened um, and, and the, the, the sucky part of everything as well is that in each instance, alcohol was involved to the point that, um, each person was inebriated to the extent that, you know, are they remembering things correctly? And I'm not trying to, to cast an opinion one way or another. I'm just saying that's, the, that's, if you are in the pro Ford or, or pro Ramirez camp, or just the pro believe women camp, that's what the argument from those on the other side is going to be, is that there's no way 
to know for certain what the truth is. And with that, you might be taking someone who is innocent and or, or just, you know, misidentified, wrongly accused, and you're destroying that person's life. You're destroying the reputation based on not knowing. And that's the real issue. I think that a lot of people are looking at and they want to believe women. Like, I mean, we just saw today, obviously, um, I, right down the road from me, Bill Cosby. Um, you know, Bill Cosby just got sentenced to, I think it was three to 10 years in jail for, for his assault uh, and slash rape of someone back in 2004. Um, but that went to court, you know, that he was being held in, um, you know, held in a jury, uh, voted on by a jury of his peers. Um, whereas with, with Kavanaugh, it's a vote basically of a public opinion. And it's just, it's, it's a really nasty situation because there is no right way to approach this. And each side is going to be upset with whatever the outcome is going to be. Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it's like... <laughs> Yeah, you throw the you throw the instance of time in there, and of course, all of the people who are pro Kavanaugh want to just come out and say, "Well, the fact that she didn't come forward 35 years ago just tells you that it's fake." And you're like, "No, uh, you obviously have you've obviously never looked into uh, other cases of sexual assault and harassment because a lot of times it does take a long time." And her story of going to a family counselor with her husband. And then uh, making the uh, making the realization that this actually did have an impact on her, it it aligns well with a lot of other stories of of harassment that you hear. So it's obviously the timeline is not something that that you can just go, oh well, that totally discredits it, that because that's not true at all. So it's, but it is another part of this uh, of this investigation that if you're sitting on the Senate committee, then you think, well, this this is kind of weird, right? It's not something that you. It's again one of those things you don't just totally throw all the allegations out because of it, but it is something that you have to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. And one thing too, I think it's important for people to, to when you look at when you look at someone like Bill Cosby, right? And I'm just going to use Bill Cosby because it's it's you know quite contemporary right now. Is it literally he was just sentenced today? Bill Cosby had 30 plus accusers of people who experienced the exact same thing that um, I forget the name of the official plaintiff um, it, or the official um, prosecutor uh, in this case. For, for Bill Cosby, her name escapes me, but um, it's not just one instance. It's it's 30 plus women who have come forward saying, yes, I experienced the exact same thing that she did. Uh, Harvey Weinstein, you have boatloads of women who have come forward saying, he's a sexual predator. This is what he did to me. And then with Judge Kavanaugh, it's, it's one instance from 36 years ago and then another instance from 35 years ago. And, and both have so much gray area around them that it's it's hard to make a definitive decision one way or another and and part of that just to kind of again give some perspective a lot of people are nervous to jump on the believe uh ford and and ramirez in this instance not not believe all women but believe these two instances they're looking at it at a you know it, each one as an individual case because we look back just just you know in the past 10 years you had the Duke Lacrosse case and then you had the University of Virginia Rolling Stone case where basically you had two instances of women who said that they were they were raped and 
it was you know uh, very similar in cases where you have these privileged white athlete athletes they were in fraternities and they were accused of of raping this, the, these two women and in each case people who didn't instantly believe the quote-unquote again believe the women they were labeled as as you know rape enablers they were they were labeled as as anti-women and then when you get into the actual meat and potatoes of the 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 cases it turns out it was completely fake and that's why so many people are nervous because we we look at what's happening right now with the the politicization of anything that has to do with trump and people come into any instance of anything trump touches from the right saying okay well what what's fake here what what's being uh misconstrued here uh and and they they approach it with a very real sense of skepticism and i i don't think it's necessarily unfounded and that's just a sad gross reality of where we are in 2018 not only in politics but as a society where we've gotten so uh, into this tribal camp one way or another that it's just destroying our ability to have real conversations with people to the point that now we're having instances of uh, alleged sexual assault and it's pushing people into one camp or another without trying to look at the facts objectively it just it just sucks man oh uh, yeah it sucks uh, yeah, but I, I i i do think that even these cases where the accuser has been found out to be lying and fabricating a story i I still think that um, I don't want to say that our default position should always be believe the woman, but I think that it's uh, our view as people, as people who are not involved in the case, who do not have a say in how in how these things actually turn out and how they go. Our, our default position should be. Um, let's look at this seriously because it's a oh, serious agreed. allegation, agreed. right? 100%. So it's not, let's look at this and, oh, just always believe the woman no matter what, um, but definitely look at it and take it very seriously and don't dismiss things because of, because little tiny pieces of the puzzle are being confirmed in your mind to show that it's fake. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's a huge picture, and it's a jigsaw puzzle right now. And and I mean, that's our justice system just has to has to try to work it work through it, right? And speaking broadly of all cases, not just uh, Kavanaugh or Bill Cosby, but it's uh, you have to have faith in in our in our justice system. And I know that there's been a lot of miscarriages of justice that have happened, but. We, we typically do a pretty good job here in the United States of finding out what is true and what is not true. Mm -hmm. So I'd, it's, it's really hard because it's, I mean, sexually assaulting a person is one of the most heinous things that a human being can do to another human being. Absolutely. So it's not, it's not, uh, it's just not a good situation at all in which we find ourselves. And our age of information, I mean... It hasn't helped necessarily either because we're we're innocent until proven guilty in the eyes of the law and judged in front of a jury of your peers. But if your case is a high-profile case, mm -hmm. then everybody knows what they think are specific details. Yep. It's uh, it's just it's a difficult situation, but I 
I guess that we have institutions that you have to try to put faith in, which might not sound good on a libertarian podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing is like, again, I've kind of, I've said it, but I'll, I'll restate it is that we've, we've gotten into this, this mindset that we need to have a definitive answer one way or another to know what the truth is. And the problem is it's, it's hard. Like it's hard to know what the, the, the absolute truth is, and that's just a reality of you know not only where we are in 2018, but just you know with these type of nitty gritty cases in general. I think that's why today's episode that we did, it's it's so important to to have this conversation and lay out the facts as they are, like what we can look at and both agree, whether you're on one side of the argument or the other, say okay, well this is the timeline, this is what we know. And then for people to to make an objective opinion and an objective uh, decision, ultimately looking at what's going to happen come Friday in their vote to move Kavanaugh out of committee towards the Senate, um, I I want to believe that he will get out of the committee because it is Republican dominated. And then the real question comes, you know, is is the case laid out by um, Dr. Ford and and Ms. Ramirez? Is it? Is it strong enough to sway the votes of those uh, more moderate slash uh, inquisitive individuals in the Senate who aren't necessarily uh, ready to, to you know be an automatic vote for um, for Kavanaugh? Um, and if so, what what does that lead to? Does that lead to Judge Amy Barrett being uh, nominated if Kavanaugh fails? Uh, you know, getting his his blessing from the Senate, uh, and if so, what what does that open up down the road? You know, what yeah, what will her confirmation be like? It's gonna be, it's gonna be very telling for sure. You and I will have to do a separate episode if that happens because <laughs> I just uh, at this point I just feel like we need to get through Friday and see what the heck's going on, man. Because it's man, it's it's crazy. And yeah, we've delivered all of these facts. We delivered a timeline and objective objective truths that we know but i mean i'm the i, I put all this together and i still don't mm-hmm. know like yeah. it's you can't so. know that's the part that sucks like having this type of podcast like i would much rather talk about like libertarian uh pr and like how to how to, to bring people towards the idea of liberty than than having a conversation about something so dark and just I don't know about you, but like this kind of stuff makes you feel dirty. Like you're just like, this sucks. Like that we have to have a conversation about someone possibly doing one of the worst things you can do to another human being. Like just having the conversation sucks. And I agree with the argument. We need to have those conversations. But like when you're seeing a conversation like this weaponized by both sides of the political aisle, it just really, it, it, it brings me down. It makes me like really, really, um, not optimistic for the future of our politics um and i'm just like scared i'm I'm truly scared at the idea of people weaponizing like the me too movement to to justify their political means i mean i'm already seeing people in the conservative uh realm of politics who are saying fine liberals want to play this game the leftists want to play this game where they're they're bringing out people from high school to go after um, you know, particular individuals that were being nominated from the conservative side of things. Well, you just, you wait. We're going to start looking at Cory Booker's high school. We're going to start looking at, and you go down the line of all these people they're ready to take down because the left has opened up the door. And yeah. instead See, of, that, yeah. Go. That to me is gross. That yes. is, it's absolutely disgusting. It's because disgusting. what you're saying is that the average high schooler 
has something in their past that is as horrible as attempted rape. And that has been one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen through this is that the amount of conservatives and hardcore Trump Republicans that are like, well, this is, uh, he was just learning how to be with women. My God. Like, how? No. That's not how you learn to be with women. That no. is... No, this is... Uh, the average 17-year-old uh, might n- try to kiss a girl at, a, at her locker or something and get rejected. That, I mean, sure, I can see that, but you don't freaking... This that's disgusting, and the fact that I've actually seen that from people on social media, it's it's horrifying that yep. it, it's 2018. It is the current year, and uh, we still have people that live amongst us that think that, oh well, it was just a different time. Boys will be boys. That is no. That's no. <laughs> social media is is a blessing to humanity, but it's also a really big curse to humanity because. It's amazing that we can share information at the speed of light to anybody across the world. The downside is that that information can be true, that information can be false. It allows us to embed ourselves more firmly into our own echo chambers, and it just, it, I'm, I'm not sure. I think we're going to look back, you know, a hundred years from now when, when you have people looking back at society circa 2018 and look at what the... The, the tool that is the internet did to our society in terms of the ability to have conversations with one another, I think it's going to be, you know, two gigantic bubbles on either end of the spectrum in terms of people actually being able to have these real conversations and to be able to talk to people outside of their comfort zone. But then on the other side, just this this fostering of, of negativity and, and tribalism and groupthink and disdain towards the other camp. And I'm just, it, it sucks because I just feel that that's the way things are going to go. Um, I hope I'm, I'm wrong. Um, and with that, I wanted to end the show with a little bit more positivity. So Dakota Davis over in Indiana, boss hog of Liberty. What do you guys have going on this week that uh, people can look forward to? Well, this week we are, uh, of course, our show is very uh, locally focused, but everybody in the United States lives in a county, and it seems like 90% of the people were raised in a town our size. Uh, one of our biggest uh, fans and uh, longtime supporter of the show, Craig DaCosta, came up and uh, visited us in Henry County, and he is actually from Hawaii, so, I mean, he gets something out of the show. And uh, it's uh, this week we have... Uh, we have a, a little bit of a different episode coming up. Uh, we have the uh, chap- the local chapter president for the League of Women Voters. Uh, she's going to be coming on and talking to us for about uh, 20 to 30 minutes about what it is that they do here locally, what the League of Women does, what they do on a local level, and how they, can, uh, how they try to get people to the polls in uh, different communities across the U.S., and then uh, Henry County has this uh, expo center being built, and uh, it is a $5 million facility. Um, it sits on 65 acres or something like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's huge. It's a, it's a huge place um, that is going to bring a lot to our community, and it, uh, so far it's been uh, funded uh, just a fraction of that $5 million has come from public taxpayer money. 
Um, and they are trying to raise the vast majority of it through private donations and through uh, uh, local businesses donating to have events there. And uh, the president of that board for the Expo Center is going to be coming on tomorrow as well and speaking with us about what uh, what they do, what places like that bring to uh, uh, communities, cities, and counties, and uh, how they intend to pay for it and uh, how they intend to maintain it. And the uh, the other economic implications that places like that bring. So she's going to be coming on and talking about that. We uh, we're very fortunate in Henry County. We have a very uh, uh, liberty-minded populace over here. Um, our county party. I'm the chairman of the Libertarian Party of Henry County, and our our county is about to have a grand opening for our uh, our brand new headquarters as well. So it's a uh, there's a lot going on here, and uh, we're we're very fortunate to have uh, some good local leaders that are watching out fiscally um, for the people. So, like uh, this Expo Center, it's with the uh, the amount of startup money that they got from the the taxpayer was very small, and the fact that they are going to try to do it on their own, I think, speaks volumes about us. And I think that if uh, if other people around the country will listen to it, they can realize that there are solutions that aren't necessarily government whenever it comes to funding projects like that. Basically, it's the opposite of any NFL city with any NFL stadium. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> it's billions of dollars in, in taxpayer revenue that's going in to build these these you know monoliths of, of gigantic, you know, almost like Roman Coliseum like uh, structures that you know are going to be it, well, built and then destroyed in thirty years. Yeah, there are modern uh, there are modern coliseum, and there are a lot of places here in Indiana that um, have been building centers like the Expo Center that we are getting in Henry County. That uh, I know a lot of the local libertarian parties uh, here in the state have have spoken out against because that these places are going to be like uh, twelve, fifteen million dollar complexes. And all of the money is going to be, uh, it's all going to be taxpayer funded. All the staff is going to be taxpayer funded. And here we have a 501c3 organization in our county that is trying to do this on its own and also trying to just provide something good for the community without it costing us an arm and a leg. There so it's, go. yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. We're very fortunate here. Um, yeah, and it'll be even better once Jeremiah gets on the council. <laughs> yeah, shameless plug there for uh, for Jeremiah Morrill. Uh, where where uh, can folks go ahead and find you guys over on uh, social media, and where can find uh, people find you, uh, Dakota Davis? So uh, for Boss Hog Liberty, we are on on Facebook. That's where we are the most active. Is uh, Facebook? Just search Boss Hog of Liberty. It's a uh, there's only one G in hog, not like the TV show where there's two. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us at at Liberty Boss, and we're somewhat active on there. And, of course, our website, bosshogliberty.com. You can find us on all your podcatchers, iHeartRadio. Um, we're also on YouTube, uh, Boss Hog Liberty. We put out high-definition videos of all of our podcasts and bonus content. Uh, yeah, and uh, you can also find us on our uh, Patreon account. We put out... So we put out a lot of bonus content for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, my wife and I, Audrey, um, she, me and her do a conspiracy theory podcast uh, about three times a month that gets put out exclusively for those folks over there 
And uh, they've been able to provide us with a state-of-the-art studio over here in downtown Newcastle in a newly renovated building. And uh, we're, yeah, like I said, we're very fortunate. You can find me on Facebook uh, at Dakota Davis and then on Twitter at Atokad Savad, which is just Dakota Davis spelled backwards. <laughs> Clever. Um <laughs> Man, I wish I had a nice studio. I am, uh, I say I'm, I'm broadcasting from the uh, Cradle of Liberty in my Philadelphia studio. Yeah, it's, it's not really a big, nice, fancy studio like you guys have there. I, uh, I'm not that, I'm not that level yet. Uh, but one day we'll, we'll, we'll have a nice studio for you guys, and maybe we'll even bring in some video. At this point, Brian <laughs> Nichols show, uh, it's, it's as bare bones as it could possibly be. While at the same point in time trying to be a podcast that brings content um, forward to, to folks with, with issues they care about. So, hey. Yeah, you do, a, you do a great job over there on the Brian Nichols Show. You are a, a, ex- absolutely one of the best interviewers that's out there. I would rather sit and listen to you talk and give an interview than I would Dave Rubin any day of the week. <laughs> I, I'm humbled <laughs> to hear that, honestly. Like, I, I've really – so Chris Fangle, dear leader, gave, us a, gave, gave a Dakota and I a platform today to – to not only discuss uh, the, the Kavanaugh issue, but also to kind of plug our own shows at the end so you guys can learn more about uh, not only the Boston of Liberty, but also the Brian Nichols show. So, heck, let's take it. So, um, yeah, my show, it, for folks who, who are a little curious, I'm not your traditional libertarian podcast. I'm not going to have, you know, um, you know the, the libertarian groupthink folks on to just, you know, Re- reaffirm and, and stroke our confirmation biases. I really try to to break out beyond the traditional means of libertarian echo chambers and to bring people into my show who I don't necessarily agree with and I don't think my audience is going to agree with, um, but to, to have a real conversation to learn areas of agreement, but also areas of disagreement, and then to find ways that we can work together to promote those common goals. So I've had people on my show who are you know far left socialists? I had a guy running up in upstate New York. Um, he's running as a, a democratic socialist, uh, part of the Bernie Sanders camp, and he he, he plugged uh, democratic socialism in my show. And you know we had a, a fun little back and forth. And I I definitely went on my way to, uh, to to ask him a few questions and challenge him on a few things. But uh, then I'll have somebody like you know Adam Kokesh or Jeffrey Tucker. Um, or, or I stole one from you guys, Steve Horowitz on my show, who also is from upstate New York. So wasn't really stealing. He's basically, uh, you know, kin, uh, to, to Jeremiah and I, um, but really the idea is to, to leave my audience feeling educated, enlightened, and informed. And that it, it, unfortunately in today's era that requires having people feel uncomfortable. And I think people need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable in order to, to promote our ideas forward and actually have some real substantive change so for my show uh this week um it's a little bit of a weird week i'm i'm you know not only doing uh the we are libertarians uh touch that we're doing today uh but i also am going to be having uh michael hutchins on so michael um just finished up a, a phenomenal book it's called irreconcilable politics our rights under a just government so um i'm, I'm going to be having him on we're going to discuss uh the ideas of, of collectivity um reforming government uh, voluntary government, um, voluntarism, interrelationships between political ideologies and central government uh, decisions, um, which it's, it's going to be much more of an in-depth libertarian uh, leaning podcast. But then uh, next week, I'm going to 
uh, go back to having some some folks running for office. And up in my uh, neck of the woods, up in northern New York, I'm actually having uh, Republican uh, Assembly candidate Mark Walzik on my show. Um, so Mark is not running against the guy I had on two weeks ago, um, but the districts are right next door to each other. And uh, Mark is a phenomenal guy. I've known Mark for about 20 some odd years. Um, he, he actually was uh, one of the, the head members of uh, Senator Patty Ritchie's staff. She's a senator up in northern New York State. Um, and he's just a very down-to-earth, driven guy. Um, you just He'll give you the shirt off his back, and he's one of the libertarian, curious, libertarian-leaning representatives that I will 100% take as a Republican to be a representative. And he has a phenomenal shot to actually win the seat, which has been hold by, uh, held by a Democrat since 2008. Um, actually, it's been longer than that, because the, the, the guy before, um, he ran for Senate, Daryl Albertine, and he won uh, back for a while. So it's it's been a Democratic seat, I think, actually, since this, the district was created back in 2002. Um, so he has a phenomenal chance to not only to to get rid of a, a leftist uh, politician, but then to, to be able to bring libertarian, I say libertarian, small L libertarian principles to, to Albany, which is a, would be a phenomenal win for us. So um, that's what's coming up here on the, uh, the Brian Nichols show uh, over the next few weeks. Um, but with that being said, any, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do an, a, a little uh, hat tip here to, to dear leader, Chris Spangle, any final thoughts, uh, Dakota Davis on today's episode? <laughs> well, um, I just wanted to say I hope that uh, we didn't come across, or at least I didn't come across any any sort of way as uh, trying to uh, downgrade the situation of uh, that uh, Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford find themselves because I think that it's incredibly difficult um, for whoever is telling the truth, uh, either side. If either side is telling the truth and one side is lying, obviously – then whoever is telling the truth, this has to be just such a, a mental stressor to them. And I Agreed. hope that I didn't uh, downplay any of that. And of course, if man, I I, I do want to say that if if there are any listeners that have gone through any type of abuse, then uh, it it is never too late to actually speak out and and tell somebody about it, even if it was 36 years ago. It's yep. still not too late, um, and even though you you might see, at least I see in uh, rural Indiana Facebook, uh, <laughs> that <laughs> there's been a, there's been a lot of conservatives that have just come out and said that all of this is just a bunch of BS, and I uh, I I don't believe that. I think that there there's got to be there's got to be truth somewhere on some side, but mm -hmm. I honestly don't know where it's at. Agreed. And I'll say um, for my final thoughts, uh, I'll kind of echo your sentiments. Um, the reality is sexual assault, it, it knows no politics. It knows no particular ideology. It's it's something that impacts not only women, uh, but also men across all political spectrums. And I say men because obviously Terry Crews, he came out um, discussing his experience with sexual assault. Um, which is, it, it itself is also, you know, a terrible act. Um, but I, I have uh, female friends who they've gone through uh, some, some horrible things that they, they've, you know, spoke to me about behind the scenes. And, and just know that we're with you. 
Um, we're not discrediting what you say. And again, I want to make sure, as you've said, Dakota, and I hope the audience leaves today's episode understanding we we don't want any woman to feel that they can't come forward. We don't want any woman to feel that what your experience isn't validated because people question it. Looking at what happens right now with Christine Ford, it's, it's because of the, the, the politics around it, and it's it's terrible. Um, just know that, like you said, Dakota, that there, there are people out there willing to listen. We want to hear your story. And it's really the first step with the, the Me Too movement, watching the likes of people like Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby um, face really the, the consequences for their actions, these these decades-long actions that took place. And just, uh, just know that it's tough, but there are people out there who are, are willing to, to, you know, really stand by you throughout this entire awful experience. Um, and yeah, we, we, we do believe women, um, 100%. That's not a question. Uh, so just know that when you leave this episode, please don't assume one way or another that we're, we're, you know, promoting a, uh, you know, a pro rape apologist mindset. That's not what we're doing. We're trying to lay out the facts and hopefully you leave today's episode, uh, with a better understanding of what actually is taking place with uh, the, the the larger Kavanaugh um, accusations and and his uh, confirmation hearing. But with that, Mr. Dakota Davis, thank you so much for for joining me today on uh, the the uh, the We Are Libertarians Network as a fill-in hosts for the uh, the Greater We Are Libertarians flagship show. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a. I think we did a pretty good job, if I say so myself. Uh, <laughs> I think we made Chris proud with this one. I was going to say, hopefully, dear leader is pleased uh, by our efforts this evening. But with that, ladies and gentlemen, it's Brian Nichols signing off from the Brian Nichols Show for Dakota Davis of the Boss Like a Liberty. This has been We Are Libertarians. We'll talk to you later on.